To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood and made us a kingdom and priests to God his Father, to him be the glory and the power forever. Amen. The word of God guiding our meditation this evening is found in Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your appropriate worship. Also, do not continue to conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that you test and approve what is the will of God, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. So by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think in a way that results in sound judgment, as God distributed a measure of faith to each of you. For we have many members in one body, and not all the members have the same function. In the same way, though we are many, we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We have different gifts according to the grace God has given us. If the gift is prophecy, do it in complete agreement with the faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then encourage. If it is contributing, be generous. If it is leadership, be diligent. If it is showing mercy, do it cheerfully. Do not just pretend to love others. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another with brotherly love. Think of others as deserving more honor than yourselves. Do not be lagging behind in zeal, but be fervent in spirit as you continue to serve the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, what can a person do to demonstrate that he or she is a good Christian, a follower of Jesus. Do in that question means the answer is going to be a, a verb, not a static noun or a descriptive adjective. We're not asking what a Christian is, but what others can see him or her actually actively doing. Now, the first verb that might come to mind is belief. And faith certainly does belong in the definition of a Christian, but since faith is in the heart, no one but God can see it. I suspect that what most people would say, even many who don't themselves claim to be Christians, is that one can demonstrate he or she is a good Christian by loving. And for a lot of people, that's the entirety of what it means to follow Jesus. But that doesn't actually work as well as you might think, because how can anyone see love? And for that matter, there's going to be disagreement about what and who is loved. Is it more like Jesus to, to love to protect others' feelings, or more like him to love truth? Does a Christian need to distinguish when loving sinners between those who are burdened by and struggling with their sins and those who are celebrating and promoting their sins? Well, Jesus, in his life and especially in his passion, and Paul in our reading, give us a much more useful word than love to answer our question. A person demonstrates that he or she is a good Christian, an already saved, believing follower of Christ, by serving. 
Of course, this does not in any way set love aside because service is the way that love is tangibly and perceptibly expressed. When I serve, I make my love visible. And this is, of course, what we see with Christ Himself. He summed up His mission on earth succinctly when He said, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God could tell, 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 and tell us some more about how much he loves us. But when we see Jesus, his Son, and what he does, well, that love is made visible, tangible, and unmistakable. Christ showed his and the Father's love for us by serving us and all sinners. We see this in his life and ministry, his his healing the sick, his teaching God's word to those who did not know it, his performing miracles of deliverance and miracles of, of feeding, accepting the outcast and comforting the sorrowful, all of these things that fill the Gospels. But But we observe this loving, willing service most clearly most powerfully in Christ's passion, not only because of what he does, but also because of how it stands in such stark contrast to the attitudes and actions of everyone around him. Our Passion History reading tonight from Luke records how how Jesus and his disciples gathered for the Passover meal in the upper room. But John relates in his gospel something that, that illustrates this connection between love and service in, a, in a, a direct and vivid way. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved those who were his own in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He got up from the supper and laid aside his outer garment. He took a towel and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. After Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garment, he reclined at the table again. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. You are right because I am. Now if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Yes, I have given you an example so that you also would do just as I have done for you. Amen, amen, I tell you. A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do. It's amazing in a way with so many other things on his mind and time tragically short, Jesus, their master and rabbi, chose to take on the literal role of a servant to teach his disciples tangibly that love shows itself in humble service. And that determination to be of service continued to show itself that that Thursday evening In his place, 
You or I would probably have been quite distracted by everything that lay ahead, or at least by the idea that, that one of these guys around the table was soon going to show himself a traitor. But Jesus decided that this was the time to give his disciples and give to all the church that rich and powerful gift that is the Lord's Supper. He was more concerned in that moment with how he might use the minutes he had left to bless. To bless not just these few men, but every convert and every generation of Christian to follow. You and I might also have chosen if, if we were in Christ's sandals and, and knew what he did about what was coming. We might have chosen to get up from the table and run away to Galilee or beyond. But again, he put sinners and his mission to save them ahead of his own health, his own safety. He came to serve, to seek and to save the lost. And for the same reason, we, we do not here see Jesus lashing out at Judas or at Peter and the rest of the disciples for the betrayal, denial, and abandonment that he knew was coming from them. Because that would not have been in their best interests. Instead, he addressed it all calmly, continuing as their patient teacher in order to serve their needs. Their needs at that moment and those in the future when they would remember it all. And if his example was not enough to get the lesson across, Jesus also put it into words, as we heard from Luke earlier. A dispute arose among the disciples about which of them was considered to be greatest. But he told them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors, but it is not to be that way with you. Instead, let the greatest among you become like the youngest, and the one who leads like the one who serves. For who is greater? One who reclines at the table or one who serves? Isn't it the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus told his disciples and tells us not only to set aside the desire to be served and to allure one's position over others, but to be eager to serve in every way. He explains that this willing service will be part of their identity as his disciples, just as service identified. And Paul makes the same connection in Romans. When he urges his brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, he is pointing to the sacrificial love and gracious forgiveness we have in Christ. What we see him do and endure in his passion. His suffering, death, and resurrection for our justification, for our forgiveness, for our deliverance, for our victory, for our place in paradise. Paul is saying, see, this, this is your power, your motivation, and your guide. Do the same thing. Sacrifice as He sacrificed, as God enables you. Live this way. And service to God and to each other is central to that way of living. What Jesus demonstrated with His life and especially with His passion is what Paul explicitly urges on us in these verses. Thinking of others more highly than ourselves valuing others' needs and desires more highly than our own. 
being devoted, devoted to one another with brotherly love. And this leads naturally to service in every way we can offer it. To God first and to our neighbor next, completely in line with that service to the Lord. There is no holding back, no hesitation. We are willing servants because we test and approve the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. This is not to say that that we have been somehow brainwashed into doing things that we wouldn't normally do and definitely wouldn't want to do. But it's saying that our minds have now been transformed and renewed. We now see and understand what we were blind to as unbelievers and, and what we resisted when our faith was weak and immature. We get now that what is best for us is always what God wants for us and that He wants us in fellowship with Him and in community with our brothers and sisters in a, a perfect communion in which every member of the body does its part with the gifts and opportunities given it for the good of all the others. And again, all of this is directly and intimately connected with an understanding of who we are because of what Christ has done for us and and the faith that the Holy Spirit has given us. Paul reminds us that we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Another way of expressing our identity as members of the family of God. And lest anyone object, neither being a part of the body of Christ nor our new identity as willing servants destroys anyone's individual identity or value. In fact, It raises everyone's. Because instead of each individual grasping and struggling to put his or her interests ahead of everyone else's, to be heard, to be seen, to be better, to to get ahead and to have one's own desires fulfilled, instead of that, everyone in the body is working together in concert to hear and to see each other as individuals, to serve better, to put the other first and to meet their needs, making everyone happy and pleasing God our Father. It may seem unlikely or or unreasonable. It's definitely counterintuitive. But being joined to the family of God what we belong to through faith in what Jesus Christ did and endured for us. Taking one's place as one person in the timeless and worldwide holy Christian church, the communion of saints, that is the best and really the only way to truly be oneself, to be fulfilled, to find one's identity and live in line with it. You know, back in the 70s, people used to talk about going to California to find themselves. As Christians, as believers in and followers of Jesus, we know that we don't need to go anywhere to find our identity or purpose or pleasure. We already have it and see it. First in the life and passion of our Lord, and then in the need of our brothers and sisters and neighbors. 
we are willing servants. And in that, in that service, the world can see that we are indeed disciples of Christ. And even though much of the world, and certainly our own sinful natures, find the idea of service demeaning, dark, even dishonorable, we know better. Our service is not born of obligation or subjugation. It's not born of victimhood or fear, but instead arises from a deep and grateful appreciation of what God has done for us in Christ and with the conviction that service is truly the highest thing that we can aspire to. Just as Jesus valued his mission to serve us sinners with salvation more highly than his honor, his blood, and his life. This is who we are as the family of God. We are known by Christ's passion. We are willing servants. Amen. May the peace of the Lord, Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen.